The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Go get a cup of coffee in here, please. America, you've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee and get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about kumbaya and flat earth insanity. Stand-up comedy? You want stand-up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit-down comedy. It's time for Coffee with the Dog. You make me laugh. We'll certainly do our best. Um, good morning, folks. What the hell day is it? You know what? It's 420. That's what day it is. Smoke them if you got them. It is Thursday, April 20th, 2023. Good day to be alive. Great to have you here. Thanks for coming. All that day. Uh, Paula Jane Newman, who is a comedian, actress, um, mental health advocate, meditation coach, and a whole lot of other stuff. She's been on so many television shows, uh, I'm surprised she's not a household name. She's been on a lot of television shows, a lot of uh, films and stuff like that. Um, And she's got an unusual accent. We'll talk to her about when she gets here. That should be in a... I don't know, 15 minutes or so. Anyway, um, last night, if you missed it, and you probably did, because you were doing something you shouldn't be doing, as usual, uh, Craig Johnson and I were uh, having a conversation about boomerism. And it started about two or three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, Billy Wayne Davis uh, made some comments that I thought were hate, ageism hate for boomers and generational hate for boomers. And we got into a little discussion about it. And uh, Craig was part of the discussion. And he said, you want to do a show about it? We had the date open. Sure, why not? So we did, uh, last night we had a conversation about it. We didn't get anything resolved, obviously. But the bottom line here, excuse me with the allergies and stuff, I got bopped in the nose. (laughs) And my deviated septum uh, just triggers, like, allergy attacks whenever anything hits my nose. Anyway, um, the bottom line really is to stop the hate based on Ageism, based on generations, it it doesn't make any sense. It's as silly as hating somebody as where they're from or their gender or their race or any of that stuff. You got to judge people as individuals. And you, if you group think about people, um, you're going down the wrong road. 
anyway, that's that was the uh, the gist of the conversation last night, and it was fun to talk to Craig because Craig does a lot behind the scenes for a lot of different people, but rarely do you get to hear from him directly. Uh, I did offer Billy Wayne uh, equal time to come back, come on, and kind of. Uh, I don't know, argue with us or restate his points, but he was doesn't seem interested. He deleted the original tweets. I'll, you know, I hope he took it in good humor and good faith. It was, it was not supposed to be like, I don't know, angry at all. Anyway, uh, so that's, uh, that was last night. And uh, what's going on in the world today? Do we even know? It's, it, it's been, not raining here, but just gray for about a week. Not fun when it's gray. Not fun at all when it's gray. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running for president. Or primary Joe Biden. Now, I would say that most people would like to see a, another even even if you think that Joe Biden has uh, done a great job as president, you probably, and I say even if you think he's done a great job as president, you probably would like to see somebody else running in 2024, somebody younger, somebody who is, um, I don't know, still alive. <laughs> I and I'm, again, so I started this whole show today about talking about not hating based on ageism. It's not like I hate the whole group. I'm not hating on anybody. I'm, uh, let's get that clear. But ageism, it's not like I'm disparaging all people his age. I'm just saying he's showing some severe. decline in everything because of his age. Now, there are people 10 years older than him, 20 years older than him that are not falling apart like that. Anyway, Robert uh, Fitzgerald Kennedy Jr. running for president seems ill-advised. Now, first of all, he is a conspiracy theorist. Uh, and a guy who is a big-time anti-vaxxer, which is, okay, you know, I don't give a shit what people think about it. Nobody nobody fucking knows. Excuse me, I'm uh, I'm dropping F-bombs already. Nobody knows. We make the best guesses we can. We listen to, to the best... Uh, experts we can, and then we make our own decisions. Anti-vaxxer does not necessarily, or at least for the COVID vax, does not necessarily say to me somebody's unqualified. Now, if you're anti-vax across the board for any vaccines, I think you have some serious problems because without vaccines throughout the years, especially in the 20th century, Without that, we'd probably have a lot less people on the planet. 
we definitely have a lot less people and we'd have people who were suffering with you know polio other stuff like that um so uh, i think that's not the worst part of the the rfk thing running for president i got a damn nose man i slapped my nose the the most disturbing part of the RFK thing is being a conspiracy theorist as he is and worried about every conspiracy that comes down the pike. The one that he or well, two that he seems to ignore have his last name in them. <laughs> uh, talking about his uncle and his father. He doesn't seem to be at all concerned with the conspiracy theories surrounding that or getting to the truth about that, those, them. <laughs> it's early for me. I'm sorry. Uh, it's early for you, too. I know. But if you're a conspiracy, this has got to be weird. Now, you're a conspiracy theorist, and your father and your uncle are at the heart of two of the biggest conspiracy theories that ever happened in the history of mankind. And you don't care about those two. You care about solving, uh, I don't know, JF, J, his cousin, JFK Jr., is still coming back, you know, QAnon stuff, uh, or any of the other conspiracy theories that come down the, the pike. He's concerned with those. Also, the fact that his grandmother is probably saying, no. No, no more Kennedys running for president. Don't you get the? Don't you get? Don't you have it figured out? Don't, don't you know that America will never allow another? I will be shocked. Listen, I I could be wrong about this, but I I want to say it in the, in the Seinfeld voice. Don't you know what's going on here? <laughs> Every Kennedy that runs for president or becomes president, uh, let's just say, um, ends up in a box. You don't want to do it. I'm not saying that he would definitely get assassinated if he ran. Ted Kennedy didn't, but his character was assassinated long before he even decided to run. So, but... You know, the odds of a, a Kennedy uh, winning, running successfully, pretty small, in my, my opinion. I think it's ill-advised to even suggest he run. He doesn't seem like he's playing with a full deck. Anyway, UFOs have been in the news for about two weeks every day, and nobody's paying attention to them. It's like we've become... Excuse me with the uh, sniffles and all that stuff. We've become numb to this whole stuff. And also, let me just say, there have been mass shootings that we have just not even paid attention to in the last week. A couple of them. It's like we've become numb to that. But now we've become numb to this idea of oh, there's spaceships and UFOs flying. Everywhere. We don't know spaceships. Strange anomalous things in the sky that can't be explained. Nobody's explaining them, and nobody seems to really care about it. I mean, and these are by credible 
uh, sightings by everybody from in all walks of life, uh, pilots and all that stuff. Everybody's seeing this stuff far more frequently. And it turns out that Ronald Reagan was wrong. Well, that was certainly awkward. We had a power outage uh, here in the studio. We're still waiting for the, the radio side to come back. I apologize for that, folks. I don't know exactly what happened, but we got the power back now. I uh, Again, I apologize for that. Just waiting for the audio side to come back before we get to our guest today. Uh Gonna be gonna be a wild one today, I think. And we have another show tonight. Hopefully, uh, we get whatever gremlins are going on uh, here solved by then. I'm going to play some commercials for you while I get the radio side back up and running, and I'll be uh, with you in just one minute here. Now things are going really wacky here. Enjoy some cold coffee while I get this going. This episode is brought to you by Koa Coffee. If you are a coffee connoisseur and want to experience the best coffee Hawaii has to offer, no blends, no compromise, try the true taste of aloha. Koa Coffee produces premium Hawaiian coffee, hand-picked, expertly roasted, and delivered from Hawaii to your door with aloha. From award-winning 100% Kona coffee grown on the slopes of the Mauna Loa volcano to the unique mocha beans of Maui, they strive to provide their loyal customers with the best quality and freshness. Since 1997, Koa Coffee has been known far and wide as a product of utmost quality and their awards proven. Koa Coffee was featured in Forbes' Top 10 Coffees of the World. This is the coffee Forbes called the best coffee in America. Find out what it's all about. Go to minddogtv.com slash coffee. I can't 
could possibly be true. Possibly be true. <laughs> that I'm still in love. With yeah. You. Okay. All right, tell me about it. Guess I can't deny it's true. It's true. That I'm still in love with you. Coffee with a dog is live streaming now. Yes, about time. Well, I am so sorry for all the um, technical screw-ups here today, but we got we got it back. And we are ready to bring you a program now. Uh, Paula Jane Newman is my guest today. Paula Jane Newman has uh, got a resume that's really, really impressive, performing in hundreds of uh, television stage productions. She is a comedian, a mental health advocate, a meditation coach, actress, and uh, so much more. She has... uh, Performed on lineups including Margaret Cho, Daryl Hammond, and more notable Los Angeles stages include the Comedy Store, Laugh Factory, Flappers, uh, Comedy Chateau, uh, just to name a few, internationally at the Sydney Comedy Club, uh, Happy Endings Comedy Club, which sounds not like a comedy club if you ask me in Sydney. I I guess I have to uh, go to Sydney and check out what's going on over there. The Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Edinburgh, <laughs> say things right. Fringe Festival and the United States uh, in uh, United States at the famous House of Comedy. Where the House of Comedy? I'm is famous. How come I don't know about it? Anyway, she's here now, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Paula J. Newman. Paula, I am so sorry for uh, you. Must have been like, what? I know I'm supposed to be on the show. Welcome. <laughs> oh well, thank you for having me um and uh maybe i should just quit while i'm ahead after that fabulous introduction uh, yeah well, <laughs> i'm good with introductions usually I, this is one of these days so uh, you never know what's going to happen uh so <laughs> you talk funny uh but i talk funny too but uh i know that people uh, are not sure where the accent's from and i'm not sure i mean it's British, right? Yes, 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 it is. And you know, it really depends who I'm talking to as to how strong it comes out because people don't understand me. So I've adapted. I came over as a teenager. So you get me around a bunch of Brits, then it's going to get thick. And uh, my family used to know. These uh ears. These ears are, I listen to a lot of accents because I talk to people all over the world. And just recently I was talking to an Australian uh, model by the name of Maddie Fogg. And you sound like her, which is weird because, I, but I know it's, you're British, not Australian, but it sounds Australian to me. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, I think we would just call you ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, there's a technical difficulty, and I disappear. <laughs> <laughs> no, is that is that an insult? Is that considered an insult to be sounding Australian? Um, no. I mean, it's not as bad as an insult if you call a New Zealander Australian. Uh, they get upset about that. Uh, but you know, I think it's the same everywhere in the world that we have to find some way to better ourselves. 
So there's accent snobbery, uh, no matter where you go in the world. And so, you know, Brits don't like to be called Australians and Australians definitely don't like to be called Brits. Really? All right. Well, lesson learned. I don't really have any problem with people because people generally think I'm from Brooklyn. I've also been uh, been told I have a very Jewish accent, which I don't know what that means, but I'm not Jewish. Uh, it doesn't bother me when people <laughs> mistake my. I I kind of laugh at it. I think it's pretty funny to to see that it confuses people people who ear, whose ears are not attuned to it. Um, and so, uh, how long have you been in the states? Uh, well, I've been giving my age away too much, but it's been thirty plus years. Really, and none of uh, do you work hard at keeping your your original accent or? Because when I go places, like, my my accent will change within three months of me changing locations. And I will start to adapt the sounds of the, of the place that I'm in now. No? You're right. Uh, when I would first come and I'd change coasts and whatnot, my family would know if I was on the East Coast or the West Coast, for sure. Uh, when I first came over was when I would call it that, you know, like accent fatigue, almost like it's not just trying to understand different words in the same language, or inference, it's also then learning how to speak. So people understand you. Uh, so uh, that took up a lot of energy. And so there was a lot of back and forth when I first came out here. And of course, going to agents and auditions, it was always can you do an American accent? And then I'd go in sometimes without an English accent. And then when I do it, they wouldn't believe me. So it's this constant back and forth. Who are you uh, with it, with acting? Not so much for comedy. That doesn't matter so much. But I predominantly landed in the voiceover world, which is how I make most of the dosh. And they need that English accent. So in that realm, yes, I do have to make sure I'm up on the Brit lingo, <laughs> it's mobile, not cell phone. Right. And certain things, as we introduce new words, vocabulary in our everyday lives, you have to keep up with different countries, use different words. Interesting, interesting stuff. Um, and so you strike me as somebody who probably knew what she wanted to do early in life. I mean, with regards to be in the arts, whether it's comedy, acting or not, uh, or anything creative, yes or no, did you? Yes, now you must be an old soul if you figured that one out, because this is the first time we've met. Well, I talked <laughs> to a lot of people and, uh, I, you know, a lot of comedians who will get into it late in life, it's not so much like a personality thing. It's where you are in your development and mastery of the craft because you seem like you've been doing it a long time and have, have uh, put put in the work to be where you are rather than coming at it at a late age. Does that make sense? It does. I love it. But I will say I actually did become more dedicated later in life uh, yeah. to it. Um, I call it the uh, the third time. You know, there's something as we know with comedy there that the rule of three there is something very special about three right it's not <laughs> it's not a coincidence that we have comedy rule of three and the holy trinity <laughs> uh, yeah. um okay can you explain the linkage 
<laughs> yes, yes, I will. Okay, so it, it's a number three, right? There's something that happens with three, you know, like when you say a joke, sorry, everything is mirrored when I'm looking and they have always this one stray curly hair that just will not behave. Um, so the Holy Trinity, one, two, three, and when you do comedy and you that set up with that rule of three, we're actually very linked uh, spiritually and with comedy. And why is that? Because when we laugh, we have a real belly laugh, like something is just funny and it gets us, that comes from our soul, right? It comes from deep within. And then when you're talking about a spiritual practice, the rule of three, you know, the Holy Trinity, that's talking about a soul's path. So the linkage between comedy, laughter, and spirituality is not this distant element. It's actually very much intertwined. And as science is coming up, you know, more and more with facts that laughter is actually healing. It actually helps the body. And so people, you know, more and more are not like, oh, comedy is over there. Or if someone wants to perform comedy, oh, why would you want to air your dirty laundry or it's so base? Absolutely not. The spectrum of it has become more and more wide and more acceptable. And people are understanding it as a modality. I mean, you even have laughter yoga now. <laughs> I did not know that. Um, it's weird for me or unusual for me. Uh, to talk to people because I talk to people in the new age part of, of conversations and spirituality and all that kind of stuff on my nighttime program. I talk to comedians during the day. It's very rare to have them both in a single conversation where, where they, I, I find like they, you know, they don't cross paths too often. The com comedy world and meditation, spirituality, mental health uh, aspect of it. We hear a lot of comedians who have, especially in the early days when I started doing com comedic interviews, a lot of comedians describe themselves as comedians slash mental health activists. <laughs> but uh, not too many are. When when did that start? Did, did you come into that at an early age or did that happen as, you know, the spiritual quest? Oh, the spiritual quest, you know, you know, hindsight, right? 2020, uh, the more wisdom we have, we can look back and we can see where something was tracking all the time, right? But at the time we don't see it. So I was always an individual who, you know, growing up in England in the environment I was in, it was almost like, you're just a little too witty. Could you stop calling stuff out the way that it was? And uh, you know, we have, well, everybody's got people like to drink a little too much. There's always that family, you know, passed down gene, as we could say. And it's like, don't be too loud. Don't speak your truth. Now, what is comedy? Comedy is calling something out, talking about what you're not supposed to, right? And having this almost philosophy point of view, right? And so I actually became very much immersed into religion when I was a teenager. I became a, a born again Christian and was very much into that. And my mom at the time was just so delighted that it was not going to be an unwanted pregnancy that she didn't care. She was just like, oh gosh, great, great. That'll keep, you know. And then it was like, then I became a steadfast vegetarian, you know, and, and I was always searching, right? Always searching. And at the same time, always wanting to perform and be creative and want to you know be up there in in lights and you know all the people who didn't fancy me back that i fancied i envisioned that i'd be 
on their walls of their children who would idolize me. That was my impetus to, you know, become famous. Uh, <laughs> really spiritual, right? Um, but how did it track together was really it's this point in my life which came to a complete focus during COVID. Honestly, was where the two of them really, really meshed. I'd come to meditation not because I'm, you know, a very <laughs> open-minded person. No, absolutely not. I was like coming to America, doing the immigrant thing. I'm going to follow my dreams. I'm going to make something of me. I felt very constricted in England. I love <laughs> England. I love the country. But I felt like that wasn't where I was supposed to be. You know, I felt like mentally I just couldn't be free. Whereas you come to especially California, it's the, you, you, know, you want to try something, go for it. Go for it. Try it. Do it. Um, rather than the mentality I grew up with was, mm, what do you want to do that for? Well, you know what? Um, I'm going to say this because I don't know. I, I, I'm walking on eggshells here. And I don't know why. There's no reason for me to be. But uh, lately I've been questioning motivational, inspirational stuff. Not that it's bad to... I, I feel like it's bad to believe in, in yourself or have a dream and absorb stuff that drives you and inspires you and motivates you. To, but I feel like when people start talking about that 24-7, they're, they're telling it more to themselves, than, but they insist on telling it to me, if that makes any sense. It's like it's a, a very Jehovah type of thing. Like I'm knocking on your door to sell you on Jehovahism, but really I'm selling myself on Jehovahism, and it gets a little obnoxious. I think. <laughs> I think that you, you've hit something very important there. Um, so when the people are knocking on the door, doing that, that's them living the lesson of in order to keep something, you have to give it away. Right. So them knocking on the door is actually really not about whether the person converts or not. It's about them expressing their truth and attempting to carry that message. And that's true with all different areas. You know, it's any charity or organization. And this is where I could be treading on eggshells. The action of it is by the time I die, this body I will not have cured something or changed something for humanity because the the cycle of humanity is to recreate uh, what the suffering is in order for us to grow and learn. Like people will say, well, everyone's got something. Well, that's absolutely right. Like that's why we're here. We're here to sort it all out, right? And so you talk about, let's say, polio, for example, they got that vaccine. It was gone. And now what's happening is things are resurging because people are not getting vaccinated for all reasons. But this is an example of the cycle of the human conditioning, right? Of suffering, right? That happens. So when someone is talking too much about one thing, it's usually because their job is to carry that message, right? Sometimes people are doing it because they're trying to convince themselves, right? And this is a whole other area that I personally, um, of, Gosh, how can I say? I'm not really behind what I call this metaphysical stuff. Like if I say it, it will happen. That's all the mind, right? That's all right. the mind. And it's okay. Like positive thinking is needed if we are so depressed and we 
can only see the world from this really closed point of view. Like, okay, get out of bed, make the bed. I don't know, put something in my mouth. This is needed. But sooner or later, it has to come from deep within our, I say soul, or I feel things in that solar plexus area. Some people say the gut, right? I had an intuition. I had a hunch. Do you know what I mean? I had a hunch, right? <laughs> that is something we all know that visceral feeling or for comedians it's like yeah I, I just could feel it I could feel it I knew I needed to say a joke about something and I don't know why that's 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 tapping in to that consciousness that's where we all are connected right we have that so when something is really settled within and you're absolutely right I think of the phrase that me thinks she doth protest too much right right they're just saying it for themselves and if that's what that person needs to do that's what they need to do, right? When someone is really okay with what they're doing or themselves, they don't need to go shout it from the mountaintops. No, I, I hear you. And there is this thing that uh, it's just human nature. When you find something that makes you feel good, whether it's uh, entertainment, whether it's spirituality, whether it's food, what, no matter what it is, if it's something that you've discovered and you're like, wow, this is great, you want to share it with people. That is just a natural tendency. You want to be the evangelist to it and say, you got to check this out, whether it's music or art, anything, you know, it, it's, it's, but it can get really crazy. And where, why I brought it up to where it relates to comedy. I have a friend who I care very much about who is addicted to affirmations and memes now. And he's in a place where, He's still struggling to get his career started. No money, no bank account, no transportation, living off somebody else's charity. And it's just stuck on, I'm going to go to open mic nights and spend all day long the rest of the day not worrying about getting my ducks in a row and really having a plan for a strategic career, but just writing memes and, uh, memes and affirmations all day long. And I think that that is a trap that keeps people from becoming successful when you get addicted. It's like replacing a uh, substance addiction with, you know, positive affirmations and all that stuff. It, it, to me, it can get a little out of hand. And I It could wanna... be until the day that they become blimmin' famous for memes and positive affirmations. <laughs> right. Yes. That, but that's that was my point, that the people who, who are doing those uh, positive affirmations, they're making money off of the positive affirmations. They're in the business of that. Those people that you see that are spending, not and again, a positive affirmation here and there or one a day is fine. But when it's 24-7 <laughs> and all you do is talk about that all day long, it gets to be like, okay, you must be selling it. Or you want to be a sell? You want to be Tony Robbins? You don't want to be a comedian. <laughs> well, it's all a process. I mean, I actually really have found that comedy is—it's that's where the comedy mixes with with therapy, actually. And some of the stuff that I've been doing with my particular brand of Rise Up Comedy, which is putting people in a more elevated, positive consciousness, where people come in and stuff that we're doing for May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, is people are talking about you know having anxiety and making some jokes about that. And the remarkable thing I'm finding, either I'm a great teacher or they're brilliant, is that I don't even have to do anything. I just guide them and the jokes come out because they have that capacity to just laugh at themselves, right? And they're finding healing. 
I was like, so how have you been finding yourself in your life? Right? And they're like, you know what? I'm not so obsessive about certain things. I don't know why. And I know why. It's because when we have that self-expression, which stand-up allows us to have, that we don't have in any other form, right? In any other form, that there is a healing element of being able to express our truth, right? And that, with the person doing the memes or whatever, there's something they're trying to get to express within themselves, right? And that is where comedy is healing, not just for laughing to watch, but for participants as well. So who knows, maybe that process of that person for two, three years needs to go to open mics, needs to do what they need to do, and then they're ready to just either pop off and say, okay, I'm closing the door altogether, and this is what I'm doing with my life, or they're just so ready and they say, that's it, no more mics, no more memes, I'm going for bust. Right. Do you uh, get less or more or the same amount of heckling that a comedian who is not talking about these kinds of things would get? <laughs> I, I would imagine I get less because... I would think so. <laughs> I also, with what you're saying, you know, uh, referencing someone who's, I call it um, uh, energy, expounding energy, like they're overspending their energy, right? For me, I can't do that. I also have chronic pain from a long-term injury. So I have to monitor it. So I'm very strategic about where I place myself to either do a show or if I, you know, ever never did the open mics. Because if I come away more depleted energetically, and that's not saying a heckler can do that, because sometimes a heckler actually can bring something up and one finds something, right? If I'm in a place where I'm depleting energetically rather than growing, I won't go back there. So it will stop that heckling environment because I'm not overspending my energy in areas, right? right? So if I'm overspending and I'm doing a show and someone heckles, I just, <laughs> I, I can't take it. But if I'm in and centered, I either have the power to be able to shut it down straight away or say something that then allows the audience to shut them down. Right. I mean, obviously, if someone is just too drunk and they're not cognizant, it's time for uh, people to walk them out. Yeah. Um, now, part of it, you just said you're strategically choosing. I don't know. I'm paraphrasing uh, what I heard, but strategically choosing the, the uh, places you choose to perform. And I think that's an important thing. I don't think everybody, especially young people, uh, looking for opportunities, they don't any. They're going to say yes. They, they're an easy date. <laughs> they're going to say yes to anything that comes their way. I think it's important to learn that discipline to say this. This room, this opportunity is a good opportunity, but not for me. It just doesn't fit who I am and what I'm trying to do. And I think uh, that takes a while to develop and understand. I still, I, I'm in a performing situation, a band. And uh, we have some conflicts with this. I am still that easy date who will take any gig that's offered. And my my partner is like, no, we only have to take the ones that pay them, pay respect, nice rooms that that treat us with. And I'm like, I'll play dive bars. So there's that. <laughs> um, but it, learning that, uh, did that was that natural for you, or did that come like through experience and time? That's a really great question. I will honestly say, because I have a chronic pain, 
and my life has always been since I've had it for about 20 years from an injury, you know, working on the computer in an office. Uh, I was very aware of it. And at the same time being told, no, 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 you have to do open mic all the time. You have to do that. You have to do that. That's how you get to know. That's part of the course. And I was like, listen, I cannot be at the comedy store with a 1.30 a.m. spot trying to get my mates to come with a show where people are doing bad BJ jokes. Right. I was like, I'm not doing it. And I remember someone said to me, yeah, but that's par for the course. And the next day I, I meditated and I was like, yeah, I don't think this, this was the third time I sort of came back to comedy. I was like, yeah, I don't think I can do this. What do I really want to do? And I was like, you know what? Maybe I just need to express myself with my one person stand up, my extended stand up or one person show, whatever you want to call it, how it, and I want to do like game shows, quips. I grew up on game shows. I love game shows. Well, I'm not joking. That afternoon, there was some small um, notice for someone to do basically an audio, like headliner spot. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, I'm not really ready for that. And then in my gut, I was like, I bet if you send your little clip of two minutes, you're going to get this job. And I was like, well, I bet oh, I'm not ready. And then I remembered, well, hang on, you're not the one to judge. You submit it if you're right or not. Well, I had a, a doctor's appointment. I came out of that appointment and I booked the job and I was like, oh, crud, what do I do now? I don't have an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I was like, well, I better get to know what this is. Long story short, it was like, oh yeah, by the way, would you come this week and join in and do um, just little quibs for our game show? And I thought, okay, well, if this is how quick my my sole questions are, I better hold on to my hat because it is pretty fast. But what I found was there was reciprocity. I was in the right space. And I then started to listen to my own voice more. And even though that's par for the course, and I, and I feel, I want you to know, I feel it so much within comedy. Like if you go to a different city, like when I went down to Australia, you go to it, it's a whole different vibe. It's like the gatekeepers are up and it's like, who do you think you are, you know, and you have to get into that vibe and understand. So you're constantly learning. You're constantly learning. And it is so hard to not want to get pulled into what the game is. You have to do all these mics. You have to know all these things. And that's fine. But the reality is people can do the game for decades and not really make a penny. Right. What a great answer. Well, because you started with the, saying the, the phrase par for the course and understanding really that the course is not your course. You you wanted to design your own course. And I think that is the best advice that any entertainer, anybody in the arts could have is not to <coughs> play by establishment rules or or think that you ha because everybody else went this way that you necessarily have to go that way. You can carve out your own course. And the only way you can really be authentic and true to what you want to do or who you want to be is to follow your own instincts and not lay out, well, everybody goes to the, and go, it goes through the same B, BJ jokes or whatever, dick jokes, uh, uh, you know, and, and puts up with that. But not it's not meant for everybody. And it's really important to carve out your brand so that 
when you get more established, people know what to expect from you, and, and that's not you. This is this is who you are. It's, it's great to actually take control of that. Very few people, I think, do take control of that destiny, whether by intention or, you know, just letting those ride on the breeze, a feather on the breeze ride, take you wherever it is. Very few people end up in that place where I'm the master of my own destiny. I created my own version of this, whatever this is, stand-up comedy, music, whatever it is. So congratulations on that. Oh, well, thank you. But it, it, it's hard because <clears throat> especially, well, I, just, I can only speak for myself. I just always think, oh, gosh, you know, in America, everyone always talks about themselves. But the reality is when anyone says, you know, you know, I'm loud, I'm loud. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not you. I'm not you. So this is for anyone watching. Like, this is my experience and my truth. And if anything resonates, that's great. But it's so hard because I was always tempting to try to fit in or because I was with the odd kid, right? You know, I mean, my hair is a bit poopy now, but I had crazy curly hair and I grew up where everyone was supposed to have straight hair and blonde and I was brown and they used to draw pictures of me on the blackboard and I always felt off and I got the wrong body. And and so when I come back into this, because this is like third time, that's why I talk about the number three. Uh, this is like the third time I came back into comedy and I'm doing it my way because I left because I was like, I can't do this. I, I like my soul was like, this is just killing me. The thing is, we live in this world and one has to be able to have certain acknowledgements of maybe fitting in a certain way so you get someone's stamp of approval, but then doing it your way. And the people who do that, it doesn't matter to them if they become really financially successful or not. They just know they have to do that. And I'm of the mindset, not everyone is like this, that if you're going to become famous or like that top notch, it's destined. You said the D word, destined. Yeah, yeah. That's going to happen no matter what. Because I know too many people who have, we would say, messed it up enough times that it shouldn't be happening. And it is. And I know too many people, amazingly talented, do all the right things. And they're just not at that place. And yeah. so when I take that off, that burden, I put that back sack down that backpack down i'm free and then it's okay like okay i want to do this but and, and and you know comedy in the u.s doesn't pay the way that it ought to how the money comes if people do clubs is through the merch right that's how you make the money and yeah. so and then the corporate gigs and so what i'm wanting to do is fuse all of who i am which happens to be part of the mental health and the wellness and the comedy, having the the little bite, as it were, in what I say, put that in, put that into what's missing. And you say it's so rare to have both worlds, but that's where there's the gap. And now this is where I get passionate. Like, I'm here for you to mind the gap. I need your mind in the gap to back what we're doing, have what's happening, because it will shift not only people in comedy being more empowered to really be who they are, right? And take that mental health step, but other people to realize that, you know, they can express themselves. It's one, it's really music you can express yourself. But going back to your truth from this, like, this is everything, you know, that, 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 that throat chakra, speaking your truth. Look what's happening in the world. So many people can't. 
and being able to have a vessel to do that, whether it's a, you know, your business person and you're doing it simply just for one showcase to do it, huge amounts of self-centered fear melt away. You know, I mean, I, I did like lots of improv and all that kind of stuff, but the first time I did stand up <coughs> with an audience, I was like, oh my God, if I've ever needed any kind of medication or mind altering <laughs> substance, now is it like, it brings up so much fear within the body. But when I overcome that, I'm just so much more complete as a person. And that's why I think a lot of people who are open with mental health challenges that are in comedy is because they see the healing that happens with it and are acknowledging what it is to speak one's truth mm. and have someone say, I relate to that or even worse. I don't relate to it, and you bomb. Well, uh, there's so much to unpack in that. Uh, we are we're already uh, like seven minutes from from a, a, a le- ten o'clock here. Uh, I know it's very early for you, but if it, if it's okay, if we go a, a couple of extra minutes, because there's a lot to unpack in that, and I wanted to talk about what you just said there. Oh, hundred uh, percent. Sorry, I get very chatty. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I appreciate what you're bringing to the table here because this is—I feel like this is important stuff that I want to share, especially with uh, young comedians, young entertainers, young creatives who want to uh, be in the arts. Now, first, we started talking about fame, and I feel like fame—and I do agree with you—there are people who seem to be destined for it, or no matter how badly they they act no matter uh, how undisciplined or, or really caring about mastery of their craft they are, they get famous. There are a lot of people who get famous because of mastery of craft, but there are some people who get famous in spite of not having mastery of craft. But all of that said, fame, I think, is a problem in the mentality of people who get... I know this was for me, and it was really... Uh, made me waste a lot of years of my life thinking that fame was a worthwhile goal of in and of itself rather than doing it for the reason of expressing myself, expressing my own truth, as you put it, getting caught up in the, like fame was important to me. And I think once you let go of that and know that, like you said, if it's going to happen, if fame is going to happen, it's out of your hands in most cases anyway. It's a destiny thing. It's a it's a star-crossing. <laughs> However you want to explain it, don't worry about fame. Worry about being the best you can be at who you are and, and being really true to your own self. And if fame is going to happen, it's going to happen. And, you know, once you do that, I think it frees you up to really be happy and enjoy what you're doing. Uh, do you agree? Absolutely, 100%, because fame is seen as, this this is the great goal. How do you know you've achieved? Oh, my son is doing so well. He's got this job, and now he has this house, and now he's found a partner, and now he has a child. I mean, like, (laughs) it's so boring. (laughs) Yes, yes. But yet, we are all subject to it. So fame, sorry, is the epitome of that. Like, oh, if you don't have a family, well, at least you have a big career. But if you have all of it, like you've done well, you've achieved in our society. Hello, everybody. Let's carry on with the corporate mainstream. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. I love all of that. But the fame is the epitome of like, oh, I've achieved it. I've done it. I've done it. And so if I get that, it's okay to be an artist. 
Right. Well, the problem, I think, a lot of young people today can't tell you what they want to be famous for. All they want to be is famous. And, like, I want to come in the room so that everybody knows who I am and notices me. But what am I contributing? The the reason you are a comedian, the reason you are a musician, the reason you are an actor is because you want to touch people's lives in some way, you know, give them something to think, something to feel, maybe improve their lives or just add some culture to their lives. You're adding something of value. If you come into it just from the act, what's in it for me, fame, who cares what I'm giving to them? That is a really shallow existence, and I think that's what we're seeing in a lot of young performers today. I just want to be famous. Well, that's a really confusing thing. For what? I don't. It doesn't matter. But there's, 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 there's like so much there to look at. First of all, artists, performers are not valued, so there's no money in that. And if that was to change, let me say, if we didn't have ridiculous money coming in from movie stars, and there was a better salary if you were an actor or a performer. You would find 80% of the people would disappear. Right. Right? Because it's it's this prestige thing. Like, you could make it big. This is my way out of this environment if I had the golden ticket or if I win the lottery, right? That, and then the deeper issue that you've hit on is that why so many just want to be famous. What is it? Being seen, being heard, being acknowledged. What if we worked on that stuff first? Ah, yes. And then one would discover what we are to be seen and acknowledged for. And then the fun would come back for it. I mean, if we take backstage, the cutting down, is someone going to know that I do this joke and purposely set it up so if I say it, it won't work? All of that stuff doesn't need to be there. One also doesn't need to suffer to be an artist, to find oh. the depths of one's soul. And why? Because we're not trained. When we raise these children, we're not trained to lead by our soul. Like, who is this person? People assume because we have their genetics that I'm going to be, oh, you look like your dad, or you're going to behave like your aunt. What about I have picked these genetics on purpose to reflect who my soul really is? And what if I feel like I am the black sheep in the family on purpose so I break from it because that's what I have to do this lifetime, right? What if we worked on that aspect of who we were? We might find we're going to have A, less problems in society and B, people don't have to keep trying to do the norm to feel okay. And, you know, then you need the meds and then you can't sleep at night and then you have meds to sleep at night. But all they're doing is knocking you out. You're not sorting out the stress. We're not sorting out the deeper rooted issues, which is why, you know, uh, what did I watch on telly? I watched something last night and I was like, ah, they're just missing the whole point. They're missing the point of digging down deep, like what the hippies were doing, what was happening in the 60s and then ended up happening in the 70s with the revolutionary movement for women was a huge movement forward. But we ought to be now dealing with our own stuff because there was still everyone had their stuff and they were on psychotropics or trying to have this conscious experience. You can have the conscious experience without having to take the drugs and have it sustainable, sustainable. If we look at our stuff, right? When we look at our stuff, we have, everyone's like, oh, we have anxiety. Why wouldn't we have anxiety? I get like 50 junk emails per day. (laughs) And I'm just trying to figure out which one is the bill that I owe. (laughs) 
Because Capital One isn't just saying your monthly bill is due. They're sending me stuff about, oh, this, that. I'm like, which one? Oh, there's a new blooming terms of service? What is it? It's not January. It's flipping April. Why <laughs> is there another terms of service, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, and it's funny because a couple of things in there. Uh, I, this week I wrote a piece on my um, whatever it is now, uh, the Substack couldn't think of the word about uh the myth of the starving artist how it, there's nothing noble in, in starving for your art there's nothing no and they, they are bringing that up but the other part of the you talk about uh being the black sheep of the family my family is so full of black sheep that i i'm the white sheep i'm the the outcast is the white sheep uh, it's like you're so liberal you're right yeah um you talk about energy, and this is, I guess this is a good place to, to kind of steer this to wrap it up, but you're talking about energy and comedy, maybe this is just me being confused about energy and, and, and the way it works, but I think comedy, and we talked about going the, the path that is set, you know, the, the rules of the comedy game, whatever those are, I think there is a lot of energy planning in the way the game the game is set up in other words comedy clubs in their darkness in their very very small and you you next to people strangers sometimes that energy that creates an uncertainty a uh, in the dark i am now prey not predator uh, it changes your whole psychology to be in that room that's different from being in a corporate room where you're on a big stage separated from people, sometimes by 50 feet before their first row is. It's all well lit up. The energy of the room is different. Does that affect your performance? It's, it has to, doesn't it? Oh, of course it does. I mean, whether I've, you know, had a burrito and a bit gassy will affect my performance, <laughs> you know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've, you've actually said something. Uh, this is so good. I get to learn something. I love it. Learning something. The psychology of it. It's a dark room. Right. Right. It's crowded. That's why, you know, the front row, when it's a dark room, it's like, you know, uh, because those are the only people that the comedian can actually see. Right. I know that. Um, and the idea is you get them to have enough alcohol that they feel loose or whatever. But there is something sacred in that idea of that ritual. Uh, you know, yes, if it's a room that's bright, I like the big rooms, as you can tell, right? Hence, drawn to that public stage, that big rooms, the, the people who I, I love, my biggest, oh, I'm such a dork. I just love Michael McIntyre, an English comedian. It's pretty clean. He is the king of act outs. Right, and I'm a big act out person. I just love, and it's this big stage, but you also see them on the smaller ones too, where you're really having a chat. And what happens is there is more fear in a small room that's dark for the comedian than a big stage where you can see people if you've got your stuff cleared out. I mean, there's still like, oh my gosh, a whole stadium of no one laughing at a joke. Right. And a whole stadium of everyone laughing at a joke. Uh, but that psychology of that dark room, yeah, of course it's going to make everyone have this mindset, right? Uh, and the mentality going into a dark room, my 
my camera was a little upset that well, I moved. You, yeah, you got too close to it. That it was, was like, cool. what are you doing? It went blurry blinkers. <laughs> um, but that's something, you know, you, I really am going to think about that because you're so right um, about that, that, that consciousness right. of it being in a dark, dingy space down in the cellar. Right. You know, but it's a bit weird now because they do that. But now let's have your chartouche board. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you're doing that and you're having me have like, I don't know. What do we have? Like broccoli wings? No, broccoli wings. Cow cauliflower wings. I got to tell you, the the, <laughs> the part where they usher you down these stairs into a basement to see it, that is unsettling to me. It feels like I don't know whether I'm going through some past life stuff where they where I went into a gas chamber in World War II or something like that. But that's what it feels like to me. They're bringing me down into this dark space. I don't know where I'm going. I'm, I'm next to strangers. I'm like, what are you doing to me? I came to see a show. It's uh, That's the only um, art form that you can go where it's like that. Like, if you go to a Broadway show, you're not going to get that. If you go to a concert, you're never going to get that. Comedy is the only place where they make you feel like uh, you're going into a speakeasy or you're doing something you shouldn't be doing or you're <laughs> you're uh, being, I don't know, led to your death or something like that. It's, now, years ago, I worked for a school of healing, energy healing, and they did not clap at the end of a performance. They did this because they did not want to break energy waves and all this stuff. Now, I, that might be going to the extreme, but there is a difference between laughter and applause, right? This rather than the laugh for a comedian. And I know most comedians feel like the laugh, uh, a, a robust, honest laugh is far more preferable than clapping hands. Uh, now, in those two different things, the comedy club versus corporate, you're probably going to see a lot different, a lot more clapping in the corporate thing and a lot more robust laughing in the comedy thing, or am I wrong? That's a great, uh, more great points that you bring up. The reason why a laughter feels so good is because when we hear a laugh, what we hear is a soul cry joy, right? I live in a, an apartment building where the little kitty's playing, and it's just so beautiful when, you know, they're just like having a ball. And also, you know, at any moment, someone's going to get hurt and it's going to turn into a scream. But that you hear the soul with clapping. You don't hear the soul with a clap. You're right. Right. So you don't get that so much. But it can be a drug. Because also, if you're in a comedy club and people are drinking, what is their state of consciousness to be laughing? If you're doing something where you can see the people and they're laughing through relatedness if it is corporate they have to feel safe that they can laugh that big so the comedy is going to be a little different it usually has to be more focused and not as so crude because they don't want to be seen as laughing at something that's inappropriate right right yeah but when you have like the older type ted talks because you know it's just gone on for so long now that some people would laugh you heard a huge audience have a big laugh. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. they're getting wisdom and they're laughing. And, and this is where the observational comedy is beginning to fade a bit versus then the story comedy. 
because we have got some philosophy and some weird TED talk phenomenon happening. People are used to wanting to hear a philosophy, a real experience of someone who's, I don't know, bulimic or lives in chronic pain, right? Um, wants to wonder, how is that funny, right? Or, you know, how I'm perceived by Americans in America has to be a big part of my comedy set because that's a huge part of my life. Now, when I went to Australia uh, or whatnot, it was a big shift because I was like, whoa, I didn't realize how much of what I do for comedy was based for the States. Wow. Because that's how they see me, Americans see me. And so I came back and, um, you know, one also, a great friend of me, a friend of mine said, the reason why you film it, Paula, is because we're never as funny as we think we are and we're never as bad as we think we are. We just watch it and learn. And I was like, you are so right. But I came back and did my first show in America and it was just like, oh, that's why there's all this laughter. That's why this is tailored for a U.S. audience. Right. Okay. I, I spent like one day in Sydney and everybody understood what I said. I spent 30 years here still trying <laughs> to be understood. Well, that's because we're dumb. We're dumber than Australia. It's not, it's not a language thing. It's just we're very stupid. <laughs> well, no. I mean, they still, they, I mean, they have different words for things, right? And, it's, it, and maybe because it was more of a, I don't know. But I was just like, what am I going to do myself? I spent so much energy trying to be understood. Yeah. And I just say something here, and people are like, yeah, I'm like, well, okay then. Right. Oh. Um, and that's, you know, I, I remember sitting in sort of like, not crying, but like, I was so jet lagged. It was just this weird, like, I was so jet lagged. I did not expect to have this jet lag. And the, com the headline, I was like, oh my God. And they said, like, how long have you been doing comedy? And I was like, because oh, I hate that question because it doesn't really want <laughs> who I am as a being. You know, like someone can be doing it for years and just still blooming awful. And other people come in and they've just, they have something to say. And so I always believe you meet people with what they're bringing, not with how long they've been in a game because everyone is flowing. Anyhow, that's my, I like everyone to be equal. And they say, look, Paula, there are people who are world-renowned comedians, but when they first come here, they have to spend a couple of weeks understanding the psychology of this town. They said, like, look, you come here and you say you're from England and America. Some of the audience members actually don't believe you because they used to be hearing that all the time. And I was like, wait, what? And they're like, but don't worry about it because you're doing great. You know, you're doing this to be an international. And I came back and it was like a huge up-leveling for me because I, I didn't understand. Most of my life was based about how Americans perceived me. Right. I, I wonder, because my, when my intention in asking how long you've been doing comedy is not how long you've been doing comedy. It's a question that sounds like it's how long have you been doing comedy. The question really is, how long did it take you to discover that this is something you need to do and get the courage to actually do it. And that's what I'm, that's what the real question is behind that. When I ask people that, and I'm just wondering if everybody else who asked that question is, has the same intention that I do, or they really no, cause nobody really cares about like, you could be great if you're doing it a week, but what I really want to know is 
how did you discover that this is who you are and how did you get the courage to actually do do what you want to do <laughs> well not everyone is as amazing as you are <laughs> well and i'm you. not going smoke up your holes uh it is four and twenty after all uh uh most people want it as a status like yeah. oh you yeah. see that's why that's why because you know you got to put in your 10 years you got to put your time in and maybe you do but why don't i just meet someone with where they're at right now right right yeah. and then be here and now uh my personal experience this is the third time i asked i i came out to los angeles from drama school i went to carnegie mellon drama uh back east and we were the first year that did a showcase in la and i helped instigate that to happen because I just could not be in the cold anymore uh it was minus 67 one year in Pittsburgh and I'd come from England I was like I cannot go to New York it's too cold I need yeah. to thaw out and so we went to LA and at the end there was a alum who is now passed on who produced the Jerry Lewis telethon every year for um, um muscular dystrophy right I think that's right and he said to me, you need to go into comedy. And I was like, but I don't understand how to do it. So I, I followed another alum who was doing comedy and I just didn't get what was happening. And then I got distracted with auditions and whatnot and what I thought I was supposed to be. Then, um, probably around 2015-ish, I was doing a charity event and they had some comedians come. And there was a woman there who just seemed nice, like a nice person. And they had were talking about maybe starting to do classes. And I thought, I have a feeling that's my, what I want to do. And it wasn't like a formal, it was a class, but it wasn't. It was like, we go over to a house, we do a little bit of like brainstorming or something. And then I did some, and then I hit that wall. I hit the, the Los Angeles or also New York, the bringer wall, right? I hit the wall of, I can't be there at 2 a.m. And then I went to an open mic. And at this open mic, there were all these jokes by males that were very inappropriate about women. And any woman that said anything was shut down. And I thought, I do not need to spend my energy doing this. This is no, this is not where I want to be. And so I was like, that's it, <sighs> done. And then what happened was COVID happened. Now, I had registered my meditation. I wanted to turn all my meditation to nonprofit because the people who I was helping were usually people who were not affluent corporate types. They're people originally like myself who'd been in pain or, or people who were coming from, you know, treatment or recovery. And, and I was like, I need a community. I was having a hard time trying to get any traction online or social media because I wasn't looking like what people expected a meditation teacher to look like. And I was also not talking in an airy fairy way that people wanted to follow. I was just very more down to earth. Like the truth is inside of you. It's about opening up. How do we get to that? How do you get to be your own guru? And people are like, no, no, no. I'd much rather follow somebody else. I'm like, people say, I'm not like that. My teacher's amazing. But something else, I just follow. And like, no, like, no. And so what happened was COVID lockdown happened. I got the paperwork for the nonprofit and everything I was doing was in person. And I was like, you know what? We need to laugh. When my mom was dying, we would rent um, 
videos, movies, whatever, uh, comedy that she liked. And we would laugh. I would laugh with her on the couch. We would just laugh, 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 or binge watch. And I was like, everyone needs to laugh. And I also knew that COVID was respiratory. And what happens when we laugh? We use all of our lungs. We have a deep belly laugh and we actually switch from the fight or flight response to the relaxation state. We go into the present moment. And so I'd seen another teacher behind a microphone who was in Australia and I just reached out to them. And what happened was there was a comedy show. We just did it on Zoom, no big whoop, but it pushed me forward again. And the next day, a friend of mine who was on the show, who'd done comedy for a long time and improv and blah, blah, just, it didn't happen for them in the way they thought it would. So then they were getting, you know, jobs that were paying, you know, to be creative, but not that big celebrity thing, right? right. Okay, very, very, super talented. And they called me the next day and were like, so why are you not doing this? I was like, okay. I'm like not 22, trying to be like famous, okay? And I don't have like a skinny hot body. And so, you know, like no one, Booker is gonna really be able to bang me. So like, because that's still there in the scene, right? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You still haven't answered my question there. Why are you not doing it? I was like, <laughs> And so we were still <laughs> in lockdown, extended lockdown performances. People weren't showing up to comedy shows in Los Angeles. So, I then did a live stream and this time I was like the MC host person. And then the next day they reached out to me again. So you can do MC and transition into a whole set and basically have people fundraise for your own. Do you realize how rare this is? I was like, no, no, no. Do you realize why are you not doing this? And they were really the impetus of me coming back. But this time I was coming back to fuse all of who I am and I want you to know it was painful it was painful for me to like oh I gotta try and do this oh I gotta call this person uh, I get more money doing a voice job than this headliner does all freaking weekend yeah like why am I doing this and it's become so clear it's the d word it's part of my destiny but that doesn't mean there's going to be uber fame or whatever happens I have to do this and it has to be fused with all of these things for me. So when I'm called a crazy person, when I'm told no one will show up for this kind of show, I say, that's okay, I'm gonna do this anyway. And then when we sell 108 tickets and we sell out of a smaller venue, people, oh, that's what you're doing. You know, mm -hmm. I think there's a market for absolutely, uh, there's a market for what for what you do. Uh, and I have been saying, kind of like on, on a soapbox about this, that <clears throat> laughter truly is medicine, whether it's the best medicine, uh, you know, that's, that's debatable out with the absolutely, but it definitely, uh, even if you're not a person who uh, is inclined to believe in energetic healing and all that kind of stuff. The, just the idea of being able to laugh when you're not feeling well, it will lift your energy up. It will lift your, your it will make the symptoms seem more handleable if you're in a place where you have some joy in your life. So I, I definitely appreciate the idea of laughter being medicine. I think as a society, and this comes to why comedians aren't paid and we we are so out of whack with how we compensate people and what we value 
but there is this lack of value for uh, really understanding how important laughter is as a medicine. So that's why they are disrespected. Comedians are disrespected and not paid on the, uh, you know, not paid at all until they make it, whatever making it is. I think it's it's a terrible. But we see, you know, guys who can catch a football get $50 million. Somebody who can make you feel better <laughs> by itself gets nothing at the end of the night. And we say, well, why why are we so screwed up? Well, what we value, we're not in touch with, with our, you know, what's really important to us as a society. So, uh, all Absolutely. Those- and that's why, you know, when the little kid wants to do something, it's not fun or when they're excited jumping up and down because their soul is like yes yes and when we're in it we're in that parasympathetic state which is the relaxation state and guess what we're out of fight or flight if we try to just mentally like okay i need to not be in a state of fight or flight uh, i have ptsd all of this knowledge through the mind super helpful but if you laugh you switch into that parasympathetic that relaxation state without you just drop in right and that is what all of this mumbo jumbo airy fairy bollocks is trying to get us to do right great stuff uh your website paulajanenewman.com now i noticed you have two podcasts that you host Two it with says, cosmic uh, chats. Nova Holistic Podcast and Psycho Psycho L O G Y M Podcast. Psycho Psychologum. No, those are ones those are ones that I just been on that are talking about wellness. Oh so. okay. Uh I thought you were hosting them. It's on one of your it's on your like link tree type of thing, which yes, uh, that's yeah. right. That yeah, that's just two ones that are talking about what we're talking about now because okay. yours might get this as well okay cool uh and then may 7th you have a mental health awareness show in uh that's in los angeles right the- no that one's in new york that oh it one is going to be at st mark's comedy club uh the uh, tickets are on event bright we can go to aware meditation uh we're gonna drop all that stuff today that's on the 7th of may okay. uh no no that's a lie that's a lie. I just lied. The 7th of May is in Los Angeles. You are right. <laughs> I am wrong. I have been up since 4. Um, 21st of May is at New York. Okay. New York. Well, I don't have that one listed, but I will uh, follow up. And when I get that information, I will share it with uh, with, with the people online. Now, it, it says it's clean-ish. Clean-ish. Not clean. Clean-ish. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. What does that mean? <laughs> okay, that's a great question. Because when people say clean, there's this whole conversation about, well, what is clean? Does it just mean you have no swear words? Or does right. it mean you don't talk about too much that's adult? Right. Uh, so we cover ourselves with saying cleanish. So the comedians know it's a 21 plus audience. If there is the odd swear word, that's okay. They also know that your jokes have to be, and this is where I'm going to really be a snob and no your jokes have to be up to the standard of a top-notch clean comic. Why? If you're a clean comic, you can't do the things that normally get just big laughs. You have to work a joke. You have to be able to know that something is genuinely funny. So if you have the idea of clean-ish, you might be talking a little bit about some adult themes. Right. But you're going somewhere, and there might be the occasional swear word. Uh, And it's also so that people 
can then get a sense of clean-ish probably means that the audience is not going to be violated by a comedian. You know, like some people like to do that for comedy, but I also want an audience members to feel safe as well. Right. I think there. Uh, that that's a, a pretty good description of it. But I, I think there are lots of comedians I'm seeing now who are using I'm not a lot. There have been several that I've seen in in the recent past who uh, who have been really good at using innuendo. So they are talking about stuff, not just um, stuff that is relationship or sexual or um, political, even, but without any like real profanity in it, and using innuendo in a way that it is not. I it could be perceived as. Risque, I don't know, is a term that people would have used in the old days. A little bit blue, but not F-bombs, not, you know, just total, uh, no talking about, you know, human bodily functions and all that kind of stuff in a graphic nature. But it's still adult in a, in a way. And that, I, I appreciate the, the discipline it takes to craft material in that way, to, to really write it out and stay true to it. And not, because for me, it's difficult to get through a single show without dropping an F-bomb. It really is. And I, I've been trying lately just be, to get back into terrestrial radio. And it's a really difficult thing for me. But once you get used to that as a, like, an interjection, like an um or an uh, <laughs> and, and instead of using that, I'm dropping an F-bomb. Uh, well, if a, you uh, want to make money in America performing, doing comedy, you have to learn to be able to be clean. Right. And yeah. I was not interested in suffering for a swear word that doesn't need to be there 99% of the time. Right. And if it does, then let it shine. Can I just uh, be a, a misogynist for one second and say I think women have a easier time grasping that concept than men do, especially young men. Young men feel like they have to be vulgar to be funny. They have to be profane to be funny. Uh, it, it's because they're performing for their bros a lot of times. There you know? is the bro consciousness, and there is a big reason as to why a lot of women will not go to bro shows and why there is a huge, huge movement after COVID of all female lineups. Right. Yeah. I, and you know what? I said this the other day. First time in my life, I think the top 10 of my uh, of my comedian favorites at the moment, more than half of them are women right now. Uh, uh, I'm just noticing, uh, like what, what we've been talking about here is, is you know, that... Uh, authenticity, the uh, the confidence to do be, be yourself and all that stuff. I'm noticing that a lot more in female comics these days than than I am of the the young men stars in the, of the game. So just hope. I think <laughs> anyway. that's great, and I also think that what it's changing is when you have if you look at early like Amy Schumer who came up and she won the competition. A lot of her stuff was dirty because she had to be doing that in order to survive in that environment. And now, because there are more people who have become well-known who are female comics, you've got a movement of women who are like, okay, the, the, the pathway has been made. I don't actually have to 
I don't have to do be a man. Do all that stuff. Yeah, I don't have to be a man or the bro mentality, <laughs> yeah. right? And now there's a space for other people to speak their truth and there's an openness for people to want to hear. But I will be honest with you, I've watched comedians and I've watched uh, the audience laugh and respond and I thought if that was in a female body, they wouldn't be laughing. Huh. Yeah, no, there is definitely, there is that. Without a doubt, there is an element of that that I, the the kind of stuff that works for for different genders is is it's still there. But um, and the reason, and I'm going to let you go, I promise. But the reason I thought that my first comment to you, it seems like you got it, the bug early in life, is because you have mastery of gesture that goes along with the jokes. And that seems like it has to come from discipline and the the acting skills and all that kind of stuff that I see a lot more, more prevalent in women who uh, just seem to be more comfortable with adapting physicality in the way in pre, into presentation than men do. Maybe it's just more women are more comfortable expressing themselves in that way i don't know but uh, that definitely it's it's apparent to me at least in the last couple of months since i've been really looking at these things with a uh kind of what's working here and what's not working and an analytical eye uh you know you 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 again wow you could just keep going and going because i keep learning so much from your observations i'm naturally yeah i'm naturally attracted to the, the, the male comedians that do have, like, you know, Michael McIntyre, huge right. act outs, right? And some people who, you know, long term, uh, when I was in New Zealand, there were a couple who were really strong. And again, they're embodying the act out movements in a males, which is a shift from that, let's say, typical, right? Stand right. behind the mic, bro, uh, you know. Um, and that's interesting. I mean, we, 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 can't, we can't say it's typical because we look at a great like Robin Williams or Cat like Williams, right? right. Uh, uh, and um, uh, oh my gosh, it's so, so awful. Um, Eddie Murphy, oh, you yeah. know, very, very physical. Uh, and we even see it now with, you know, Joe Coy in his specials and you've got even Mark Marin, he was doing more embodiment. Wow, uh, as, Mark as never, never used to get off the bench. He used to sit on the stool. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I watched that. The special was I was wanted to see how he was going to address, you know, his grief, right? And and was he going to go there, right? And he did, which is showing. This we get cosmic, the path of the divine masculine, and we have masculine, feminine within us. Where it's not like initially body dependent, is to be more vulnerable. Right. And when we are more vulnerable, we are more open. And so he talked about that and he did a few little act outs. And I was like, there's the vulnerability. And and if you want to do on a younger element, you know, I'm a big fan of Hassan Minaj. And his first opening of his last big special was all about the fertility challenges. Right. Right at the beginning and doing some act out stuff with it. And so it is a more balancing of 
you know, taking the, that, that divine feminine energy, opening up the vulnerability by maybe being more physical. You Very know, interesting I think that's, stuff. it's X. I'm, I, whew, I didn't even think about it. Cool. Well, thank you for getting up early and being part of the show. Uh, please, if you can remember, send me uh, the information on the May 21st uh, show in New York, and I will get that out. In the meantime, the stuff for May 7th, the links are in the description, and uh, the link to Paula Jean uh, uh, website is in the description of what yeah. it's going across there. And the May 7th, so people know, it's limited because it's a free show because it's part of the outreach for Aware Meditation for Laughter. Uh, so it's free. Um, so those are going to be very limited ticket. And the 21st is also a fundraiser-ish. So there are ticket prices for that at St. Mark's Comedy Club. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you. And please do come back sometime. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for having me. It's been a learning experience, which is already makes me younger than when I dialed in. Excellent. That's good news. Uh, and I, I really appreciate hearing that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a great day. Bye for now. Bye. Paul Jane Newman, folks, uh, pretty cool stuff, I think. Um, lots, you know, she said the word vulnerable. And when I had that guy on who was the author of the, the, the man, the, guy, the woman hater man, who, the guy who wrote the book about how men are um, uh, abused, and that guy. I brought up to the fact that many of the women guests, uh, especially in the self-help realm of stuff, have used the word vulnerable to describe me. And he he was really adamant. Ah, that's weak. You don't want to let them call you vulnerable. That's a bad word. I think the only way you can honestly approach communication in this world is to have some degree of vulnerability. You can't it's a matter of trusting the person that you're communicating with or people that you're communicating enough not to attack you for being honest about who you are authentically. That's being vulnerable. And if you can't do that, then you can never really be honest with anybody. So maybe it's a matter of learning to trust. I don't know. But whatever it is, you have to somehow at some point in life let down your guard or you can never be you. That's part of my takeaway from this conversation. I'm going to uh, play a short song and then I will be back to wrap up and give you a description of what is uh, going to be happening tonight. Uh, so um, tonight, actually, uh, well, I'll tell you about it in a minute. I'm just going to take a really short break, freshen up the coffee, come back and we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, let's see what we're going to play here. Let's go. I was playing that one before. Uh, let's go with this guy. Well, I'm the kind of guy who likes to sleep in late, and I'm the kind of guy who doesn't like to wait. You can handle that, we'll get along just great, cause that's the kind of guy I am. I'm not the kind of guy who likes to start a fight. I've never been accused of being too polite Cause I've got strong opinions about wrong and right That's the kind of guy I am And I'm damned if I do I'm damned if I don't I'm damned if I will I'm damned if I won't I'm damned if I try Don't you understand
Uh, that was a really interesting conversation for me. Different because although I do talk to a lot of uh, people who are into energy and meditation and spirituality and all that kind of stuff, and I do talk to a lot of comedians, rarely. Look at these hands. I'm like, I'm doing gestures and stuff now. I <laughs> Rarely do I talk to comedians who are into... Now, I'm not sure of the whole numerology stuff. Maybe. John Lennon was into numerology. Uh, to a certain it was number nine for him, which was not the power of three. Uh, what, was, what was that show? Uh, um, the Witches with uh, Alyssa Milano and uh, the other kid. And the other kid. Shannon Doherty. And... What, three witches, power of three. Anyway, um, not sure about all that stuff, but definitely something to consider there. They say things happen in threes. I know Carl had a, a problem with that comment, but uh, I wasn't going to let it get contentious and start arguing that. Anyway, tonight, who's the guest? What's his name? I, I, I never remember my guest's name until it's time to introduce him. David Lawrence, who's an author of a book called are we really biochemical robots? This one is going to be over my head. It's, it's a uh, Thursday night program. Meet the author. Uh, as you probably are aware, if you follow this at all or follow me at all, not really doing Thursday night shows anymore. This week is an unusual week. Full night uh, on the evening program, full, full schedule on the daytime program. So tonight we'll be talking about Science theory, uh, it's not a conspiracy theory of sorts. It's a theory that tries to explain reality of of our own human existence. That will be tonight, if you are so inclined. You might want to help me through that one, because I'm sure that one's going to be over my head. And I will struggle to try to feel like I'm not an idiot. 
tomorrow, I'm really excited to have Uncle Walt back. Uncle Walt, you say, who's that? Uncle Walt has been on the program twice before. He made his debut appearance here with Killy Smith, Killer Keely, um, about a year ago. And he was just starting out in uh, comedy then. Put in a full year. He's been on a couple of times since then. Put in a full year of doing the road dog thing and uh, working hard at going full-time into comedy. Not as a kid. He's not a kid. Uncle Walt is, if I had to guess his age, I would say about late 30s, early 40s. Another one is uh, people who I'm talking about who was getting into it later in life, and there's nothing wrong with that. We encourage that, realizing that as long as you're still breathing, you got time to do what you really want to do in this life. Uncle Walt, I think, is doing it the right way. He's working, he's working it hard. He's working it pretty smart. But he's also had some ad- uh, adventures and some experiences during his first year, some surprises that are going to be fun to talk about, fun to get to um, the essence of how he he's handling it all. Uh, so I look forward to that. Uncle Walt tomorrow on the Friday edition, and then we'll uh, wrap this up for the week. Next week is uh, looking pretty interesting as well. I'll tell you about it as we get closer. I'm not going to tell you about it right now, in other words. I'm just going to wrap this up and tell you uh, to have a great day. And uh, don't forget to turn on your radio. Thank you to Paula Jane Newman for being my guest today. A fabulous conversation, I think. Love to know what you think about it. And, uh, oh, yeah, write to Jackie. He, he wants emails. Send them jokeland at AOL.com. Uh, write to Jackie and tell him you love him. Tell him you're a fan. Make him happy. I'll see you tomorrow. Or I'll see you tonight. Join me tonight and then tomorrow. How about that? All right, bye for now.
Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.